You know, and, and being able to turn inward and not feel ashamed or embarrassed about the rocket fuel of fantasy that is yours alone is like unbelievably powerful. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to Focus Fridays, Season 2, Episode 10. We're Finn and Emma, and surprise, Focus Friday episode time. We forgot to announce this this week, so we're just dropping it in your podcast player today without announcing it, and we're super excited without about consent. We've not <laughs> we've non consensually dropped into your podcast player with a with a Focus Friday with a bonus bonus episode. Good news is Emma, we got lots of lube for it. <laughs> That's true, very true. Anyway, today we are very excited about this interview. We talk with Wendy, who is the founder and CEO of Good clean love. Yeah. And we're going to basically kind of start this little intro by reading the bio that they sent us. And then we're going to expand on it a bit afterwards. Wendy is an award-winning social entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Good Clean Love, a pioneer in the organic personal care product industry. Wendy started Good Clean Love in 2003 after hearing from many women about and experienced for herself the painful side effects of using petrochemical-based hygiene and intimacy products. Yes. Good Clean Love products are sold internationally and endorsed by physicians nationwide for their safe and non-toxic ingredients. And as a woman-owned B Corp, Good Clean Love prides itself on providing the most scientifically advanced personal care products with patented biomatch technology designed by leading scientists. Good one, job. One more sentence. Yes. An independent science study found that Good Clean Love Good Clean Love's line of personal lubricants to be one of the safest in its class. So that was a lot, but this interview is amazing. And it's a lot more than what we just read. Yeah. Wendy dives into a lot about her personal life, her personal sexual life, her sexual history, the how she got to start Good Clean Love in her kitchen Yeah, with, with essential oils and how it's grown to where it is today. But again, along the way, so many amazing things. Wendy is also the author of two books. Uh, the first one is called Sex That Works, and the second one is called Love That Works. Both highly reviewed, and you can find links in the show notes to the Goodreads uh, page for both of these books. Additionally, as you listen to this episode, you can go on to Good Clean Love's website, and you can get 10% off by using the promo code EMMA when you check out. Yep, and if you happen to be a community member of ours... Uh, you get some additional bonus goodies, and all of that information will be posted inside the community platform today. So go check that out and get your bonus uh, bonus goodies. And if you forgot that promo code or need more information, go look at the show notes. It's all there. Yes, and the show notes can be found at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab, and you will see show notes for not just this episode, but every episode, plus links to all of Wendy's work, her books their podcast, all of the stuff that she talks about in this wide-ranging, 
fast moving, yes. but, but super exciting interview. So a huge thank you to Wendy and the whole team over at Good Clean Love for helping make this happen. We're super excited and pumped to get more good products out there. Thank you. Yes, we're super pumped. For anyone who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump into the interview with Wendy right now. For anyone else, we have a couple of quick announcements. First up, what is a premium subscription? It is a way to skip these announcements at the beginning of the episode, but don't worry, you'll still get dates for any upcoming important events at the end of the episode, so you don't miss out on those. For more information and to sign up, you can use the links that are on our homepage at normalizingnonmonogamy.com or click on the show notes in your podcast player. And a few more quick things. If you've heard us talking, well, you heard us talk about the community earlier and you get special perks. So you want those perks plus all of the other amazing perks. Head over to our website again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab at the top and you can join our incredible uh, paid community. It's just a couple of bucks a month. You get to join the over 200 other people who are on there every day, supporting one another, building community sharing photos, sharing stories, joining our monthly calls, our men's group, our women's group. There's a lot there. Oh, and also you get the premium subscription included you for do. free. You do. So if that's not enough to sell you on it, we're out of things to sell you on it. We'll be there. Maybe that's what they needed. To sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the community tab. The last thing you can do over at our website is sign up for the upcoming virtual meet and greet, which will be on November 30th. We do these every month. They are incredible. And we've been pushing almost 50 people on these every month for the last few months. They're just a great way to, again, get out, meet people, build community and have a wonderful evening. Just to be clear, these meet and greets are open to everyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. So come and join us. We'd love to have you. Last but not least, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you can reach out to us, contact us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to come and be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any feedback or any other questions, please reach out to us. That's a lot of things they could reach out about. Yep. And they don't ha- you don't have to be the founder of a woman-owned B Corp to come on. That's true. But if you are, please come on. <laughs> Clearly, we enjoy talking to you, as you'll see in this incredible, awesome, super fun, and uh, amazing. Amazing. Amazing interview with Wendy. Let's go. Welcome to the show, Wendy. We're super excited to have you here to be talking to you and to learn more about more about you, good, clean love, and all of the awesome stuff you're doing. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm happy to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. And, you know, actually one of the skills that has remained the strongest for me is t- storytelling. So I, I, so I love it when people want to have a good chat about intimacy and sexuality and, and, and what makes that healthy and, and always including the biological, right? Like I, you know, for me, the older I get, the more tied I am to the truth of biology of what actually happens in our body is really probably truer than anything we try to think about it in our mind. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've been running good, clean love. Um, I started in my kitchen because I couldn't quite use olive oil for cooking and sex and all the products I made, uh, all the products that I was given by the doctor and that I could find at the stores. This was probably late 1990s, early 2000s, um, really made me sick. 
And I didn't understand why it made me sick, but, you know, I thought I was allergic, right? Like I thought people who reacted just had an allergic reaction to an ingredient. It was many, many years later that I learned that everybody's allergic to the majority of products in the market because they're what you call hyperosmolar, which is to say that they're so petrochemically heavy that they stripped the lining of the epithelium of the vagina and um, actually make you much more susceptible to other much more serious STDs and HIV. Um, but that took me a long time to learn all that. At the time, I just had a lot of very serious irritation that would keep me up late at night. So... And so sex probably wasn't super fun or enjoyable at that point. Well, you know, I had four kids and I grew up in a divorce. And so I was really um, pretty dedicated from from childhood to trying to understand what happened, what was different with families that lasted, right? Like I yeah. was mostly looking through the window at other people's happy lives. Um, and it was very acute for me as a child. So I think a lot of my work, like my marriage, I got married very young when I was 22, I was married uh, and I'm still married to that man today. And let me just say that it was not a storybook marriage. We do have a pretty remarkable sex life, but really it was like, I knew if we stopped having sex when it was really getting bad. And that was after four kids. So I had a lot of things that many, many women have many times after one child that stops women from having sex actually going forward. But I knew if we stopped having sex, the whole mess would fall apart, right? Like for us, that was really the glue that allowed us to work through so many of the hard days and nights with all those kids and chaos. Um, so I was really dedicated to finding a solution for my sex life. And that's how Good Clean Love started. Wow. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And so what, what the products you had available weren't working for the mission you were on, which was keep the marriage together and we need sex to do that. And so let's go make some better products. Yeah. And, um, you know, I didn't really know anything about, well, pretty much anything. I got a degree in French. <laughs> Uh, and I was always kind of make it up as you go kind of girl. And so really that's how the experimentation was, right? Like it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, I'm making some big $50 million company now. Right. Uh, but I, you know, I'm a big problem solver, right? Like I, I, I feel like life is, if it's anything, it's a problem solving activity most days. And so you have to be willing actually to approach the things that sometimes can bring you way down as a problem solving activity. And so for a long time, right, that's why I experimented olive oil, right? Like coconut oil. I went through, I went through the things that were readily available. And eventually I landed in a little shop in our community on a love oil, which really was the thing that started the business. And we still sell those love oils today, but they were made with aphrodisiac um, essential oils in a Ours are made in a base of uh, apricot kernel oil. And so for a while I was having this amazing sex and I thought, God, we're doing great. Like what's, it was like so markedly different that I thought it was us. And then the bottle of love oil was gone and I was like, oh shit, it was, <laughs> it was the love oil, you know? And so then I became really dedicated to try to get more and, you know, long story short, I finally found the woman who sold four bottles a year at this little shop and started learning how to make it myself. 
So, wow. uh, so that's like, th- and those were our first products. And I think I changed the company name six times and tried to figure out how do I market this, right? Like I was not a marketer. I was not a businesswoman. I, I just was a woman. And so I would give the product away to a lot of my friends, um, or mothers I knew on the soccer field or right. Like I was, I had four children at that time and most of my life really belonged to them. I was fortunate to be able to really focus some of my life on caring for them. Of course, as my kids got older, they're like, don't talk about what you do. Like just, just (laughs) okay. Like you don't have a company. And, um, by the time they got to college, they thought it was ultra cool, right? They, they'd leave my books on their nightstand so that when girls came in, it was like a, it was like literally the perfect pickup line. My mom wrote that. Sex that works, you know, um, <laughs> and it did get them some good dates. Um, I love that transition, the evolution, and like, oh no, stay away, and then oh no, this is actually really powerful best, in my relationships. Best wingman ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it's really hard when you become pubescent, right? And your your sexuality emerges someplace between the time, you know, eleven and thirteen right? On average. Um, before that, you're really kind of wondering what is that thing, right? But, you know, there's some really interesting theories about how that works in humanity. And and a lot of, I think the smartest people I know liken it to a little bit like the subconsciousness of dreams. So that okay. that part of us our erotic selves, our erotic soul, if you will, really like is trying to take what's been painful in our childhood and eroticize it. Such an interesting theory when you think about fetishes and the ways that people come to sexuality in so many different ways when they're, you know, trying to figure out who they are as a sexual being in their teens and in their 20s, right? And we never really think how the thing that is the biggest turn on might actually be something that's bringing pleasure to something that's painful. But it's an interesting question just to throw out to the audience to to ponder, you know, like I never did really understand. And it's different for uh, different people. Like if your thing is you had an over controlling mother, that's not like you would all come to like high heel shoes. Right. Or yeah. right, like it's like everybody would would in this dreamlike way, right? In the same way that our dreams are trying to sort kind of our conflicts and how we're trying to understand what it means to be who we are in the world, right? Like in many ways, I think our our most profound uh, erotic sexuality comes from that same space. Yeah, and everybody interprets it a little bit different and winds Mm -hmm. up like you could all go through the same quote-unquote experience and come out on the other side with a different, totally a different, different. output. Yeah, yeah, totally different. Yeah. It's actually the mystery, it's the mystery of humanity, right? Like that, the, this process thing that happens, you know, the ways in which some people can communicate and say things out loud. You know, I have a, a diagram in my in my book. And I think that these two axes are so interesting to think about, not just our sexuality in life, but also our, um, our approach, just like how we, how we interact, you know, and this idea of like disinhibited to 
inhibited, right? Like as one spectrum, because that doesn't just play out sexually, right? There's all these ways that some people can really express themselves and, and even people in the same family, right? Like some people are very out there and they say the thing and they're waiting for the other people to come and the other people are just the opposite. Right. And then the other access is like, you know, you know, uh, you know, access to pleasure, right? Like, so, so, so yeah, anyway, it's, it's an interesting idea about how the way those things play off each other really puts you in a quadrant. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. sort of drives like who would go to a dungeon, right? Like, or no, actually the other access, sorry, I'm sorry. It's a Friday and it's been a long week. The other access <laughs> actually, we can start over if you want, is actually nope. relation is, is actually relationship orientation. So people who would rather be alone to people who would really want to be together. So when you come think about inhibited and they're really relational, you can almost imagine the kind of sex those people have, right? As opposed to disinhibited and non-relational, right? Like those people would go to dungeons, for instance, right? Sure. Um, as an example, or be much more open to things with strangers than people yeah. who are in the relational category on either side. So I, I, I think about that a lot, actually, about many things in life. I think it's a, I think it's a good way to understand just yourself. And, you know, as a woman who's been married for so many years, um, I have just recently sort of introduced the idea of um, polyamory to my husband just to see if it was a hard no. Uh, <laughs> and, and he didn't go running, screaming from the room, but, um, I, you know, it's going to take some coaching. But, uh, you know, because actually, even for me, I, I have really amazing sex, but I sometimes think, is this the only person in my entire life I'll ever have sex with, right? Like, you know, yeah. and um, I did have sex just as a disclaimer. You know, I got married really young, but then things were not good. And I lived in France for a period of time right after we were married. So, you know, when I was 23, 24, and I, ha and I, and I knew some French men deeply. Um, we weren't sure if we were going to stay together. I didn't have any children, so I didn't quite count it as an affair in quite the way I would after I was having children and married in that way. But, but it did hurt our relationship when he found out about it, you know? Um, and so yeah. I think the idea of how we do this ethically and honestly and openly is really, really important. And just for some context, how long have you been together now? Like, well, so, uh, like we'll have our 40th anniversary, wedding anniversary, uh, in 24. So, okay. um, so like almost like as long as I can remember being me, I've been with yeah. you. You know, yeah, of course. I, 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 sometimes I listen to music now from when I was a teenager, when we weren't together, you know, all the stuff I would listen to high school or in college and it'd be like, okay, did you know this song? Because I didn't know you. And I listen to the song all the time. So, but we have very small windows of time that we didn't know each other, you know, yeah. um, yeah. and the older we get, the smaller they are, but yeah, I, you know, um, and you know, the way we choose partners, of course, when we're 20 or 21 or 22, that's so different than what you might think or do when you're 27 or 29, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say that I have suffered that a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess you did say, 
that you have a great sex life. And I'm sure that part of this is like the, the business side that you've been on and, and bringing all of that into your sex life as well. I'm sure they play right into each other. Well, I don't Uh, think I would still be married or have a sex life if I didn't do this business. I would have gone the way that most women go where they just stop having sex because, you know, the products they have are too painful. They already have a lot of pain. And I think actually maybe not a bad moment to just talk about vaginal pain. Not only the rampant numbers in the 60 to 70%, not just for women who are older, but even among 20 to 30 year olds that have, uh, that report really intense pain with sex. Right. And, you know, I think that's associated to a lot of different things. Many people really never learn how to have sex, right? We don't teach that anywhere. And I think it takes a long time to learn what you like and to be able to use language to describe it, you know? Um, and it, and it also it, like it matters where you are on that inhibited scale, whether you would even come to that relationship to your body. Right. But also because there's so much, uh, erotic damage, that happens to such a high percentage of people. I think it's easy to say 50% of women have probably had at least one erotic incident in their life that has been uh, damaging to them. And I think that's generous, honestly. You know, we do a study, we do a lot of research at, at our company. We have a new company called Vaginal Biome Science. And so we move it out of the brand so that the FDA doesn't hate me for it. Um, for a long time we did it in the brand, but now we have our own company that does that. But one of the studies we do in a, with a brilliant woman at university of Nebraska is about, uh, sexual pleasure and pain and how the vaginal biome impacts or doesn't impact that experience. And she found out the most interesting thing, something that we hadn't even been looking for, is that um, when you have an erotic injury, and we presume that the earlier it happens to you in life, the more profoundly it's marked in the body, right? The whole idea the body keeps the score. So that when the woman experiences arousal, that is, in fact, where the inflammation comes up vaginally is at the moment of arousal, you know, in the same way that like, if you have a heart issue, they might give you all the tests, but they're not going to see it till they have you running on a thing until the, till the heart is actually doing what it's supposed to do. Right. So it makes a lot of sense that the body works that way. But, um, but I want to say that all of those things combined, I think make it such that, you know, it's not uncommon to be in your twenties and not be having good sex all the time. Right. Like I just want your listeners to know if they haven't found what works, that's normal, you know, and, you know, and in some ways that's the gift of a, of a partner over time, whether it's multiple partners or a single partner, it's very hard to get good at sex with a stranger, right? Like you just don't have any context for that person. You know, if some, I always tell people, if somebody doesn't know how you take your coffee, right? If they have no idea what your favorite color is, why would you give them that part of your body? You know, we know statistically most people don't have a very good experience with strangers, women especially, um, unless like sometimes when it's dangerous, there's a way that danger kind of heightens our sense of sort of everything. And so women can sometimes orgasm in that dangerous place, but it's also dangerous. So, you know, um, so like a defense mechanism, maybe. I mean, it's kind of a mixed up way to get to your erotic self, let me say, you know? Yeah. Um, so, well, and so, 
So it, it is very common that people don't have that fulfilling sex life, let's say. And so if, what are your recommendations for someone in that spot? Where do they start? Yeah. Well, so, you know, they say that masturbation is the foundation and the cornerstone of a healthy sex life. And we know that even today, even with all the ways we say everything's different, that it's still actually the same, um, that men have a much better relationship to masturbation than women do to this day. So whereas 80 to 90% of men in most surveys actually do report masturbating regularly, for women, that's like, in some studies, under 50%, right? So, you know, women, I think, even in the work we do around vaginal care, you know, the idea that they would touch themselves, that they would pay attention to their own odor, that they would feel that they can have a relationship to that part of their body is still, I think, in its early days. You know, and there's many, many reasons for this, right? You know, women have not been part of medical research since the very first time was in 1993, probably when you guys were born, right? So, you know, um, and not quite. I mean, we're a little older. You're, you're close. You're close. <laughs> it's like, think how crazy that is, right? Yeah, yeah. And, for and sure. still, the FDA code, you know, which is from 1938, does not include the, the word woman, vagina, or pregnancy. They call that right? other conditions. And so that means that every condition that's vaginal has to be treated by a drug and be a disease. So understand how deep the patriarchy shapes the world that we still very much live in, right? And so yeah. actually that's my favorite fight in the world, right? That's literally what I'm going after in life. But, and I really think the fact that I, you know, another way to think about this is testosterone. When you think about sort of the importance of hormones, you know, we always think that testosterone is the male hormone and that women just get estrogen and progesterone, but there's... There's dozens, hundreds of studies that show that, in fact, estrogen and progesterone really only work in proportion to testosterone, which all women have, right? And some young women have more testosterone than the other ones, right? So that whole kind of endocrinology of life doesn't just hit women when they're old like me, right? Many, many women when they have PCOS or endometriosis or conditions that affect millions and millions of women, that's all endocrinology, right? I'm telling you about testosterone because I've recently taken it into my own hands to get um, these pellets of testosterone shot into my butt, which then makes the, the it's very painful for a moment, um, but it makes the, um, the hormone available bioidentically, you know, in my body. Some doctors worry it's not an approved treatment, but, but there is not a single approved treatment for women to get testosterone. And there's 29 for men. But I want to tell wow. you that when my testosterone and estrogen and everything's like finding its groove, I can go up against any man. So like, but I don't have that power without testosterone. So that might be one of the reasons we've never cleared that treatment for women, but now you're getting all of my biases. So no. <laughs> I'm sure we could have a whole podcast episode it's, on that. No, it's amazing. And I think maybe just, but you did ask me, how can people deal with not having good sex? So how about I give you a couple easy answers to that? So we Perfect. started, we started with, with masturbation. So the truth is that if you don't know your own erotic fuel, 
which is to say fantasy. And we all have fantasies, often linked to what I was talking about earlier, about how when you become pubescent, you, you eroticize things, right? And sometimes those are not like culturally appropriate things. In fact, generally, I would say they're not culturally appropriate to whatever that is now. I don't even know what that means anymore. But, you know, when I first started to have the courage to learn about this and see my own fantasies, they were frequently things like that I probably would never want to have happened to me in real life, right? But were extremely erotic, you know? Um, and, and so when I have sex, I go on this time journey and I like, you know, whatever, I'm in relationship to my husband, even though he doesn't know it because we never talk about it, you know, in all different ways, right? Like as a, as a child, as a old woman, I, I, I try on everything in my fantasies and they're usually, I mean, let me just say that the, that the dynamic of power and subordination is what makes sex what it is. The, the more that we can come to terms with that in a way that we're comfortable and understand where we fall in our relationship to our eroticism and this idea of power and domination and subordination, right? Like every porn movie has that in it, right? Like it's just part of the story. And I feel like all the ways that we, that we lose that dialogue actually separates us from finding that fuel. So, okay. I've already told you more than I wish I did about my own fuel, but like that fantasy thing is a big piece that you allow that to come up through you. It doesn't mean you actually have to go to a dungeon. It doesn't mean you actually need to wear a metal collar, right? Like it, you can think these things and it's crazy what they might do for you but it doesn't mean you need to practice them. And in fact, practicing them, as soon as you bring anything to life in 3D, it has consequences that many people just, they can't see into. So I would say try it in your head first, and then if it really feels persistent, then take it someplace safe, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, knowing what feels good when you, when you touch yourself helps you to be with somebody else, and then you can tell them and show them what feels good, right? How do you like to be touched? And, and, you, and then you can sometimes find words for that, you know? And, yeah. and being able to turn inward and not feel ashamed or embarrassed about the rocket fuel of fantasy that that is yours alone is like unbelievably powerful will take you very yeah. far in life you know i would say that when you know i always tell every woman i meet and it's sort of embarrassing when they don't know me very well that <laughs> that uh you know you should never be penetrated until you have actually had an external clitoral orgasm because that orgasm the, the reason the clitoris, I mean, let's just talk about the clitoris for a minute. It's an organ system. For most of my adult life, I believe that was that little spot on top of my labia, only to learn when I was 41 that I actually get this rocking sensation inside of me because it has legs that enervate and, 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 and gorge the vaginal walls, which make penetration crazy, desirable, and sexy. Until that's happened, like, I have make the best lube on the market, I would say, bar none, partly because we really pay attention to science. But even good lubricant is not going to do for you what a little clitoral stimulation is going to do. 
And most people have sex for five minutes. I tell my husband this and he just doesn't believe it. Um, But, you know, the average amount of set time that people have sex in this country is five to seven minutes. And so, and many women will still report, oh, they don't want to make their partner wait, you know, oh, you know, as though it's like a burden on them, right? And so they'll be penetrated when they're not actually internally lubricated. And then, of course, if they use shitty lube, it's much, much worse. Um, shitty lube being anything that's hyperosmolar and made with petrochemicals, you know, so good lube definitely helps with tears and things like that. But it's not going to be the answer to pleasure because in order to really get to pleasure, you have to give yourself permission, first of all, to know how it feels good by yourself to actually know what is going on in your mind and not feel ashamed of it, which took me a very long time so that you can have fantasy integrate with whoever you're with yourself or somebody else. And that you, that you, that you actually accept that you have a pace, your own erotic pace. And if somebody doesn't want to be with that pace, you probably don't want to be with them. I just want to say, like, it's not that interesting. Like, you know, we've written booklets and books about, like, you know, it's only good if it's good for everybody, <laughs> right? And right. and and the number of ways that women say it's good if he had a good time still today, it, the percentages is, like, outlandish. So those are a few things, right? Like, you have to know and, and accept that you're you are an erotic being living in a human being, right? Because the only true experiences that I know for myself are ones that are really viscerally landed, right? On earth. Like Mm -hmm. I am not just my body. I'm a soul. I'm a spirit. But the way that I travel on earth, the way I experience my sexuality, the way I interact with people is in this old woman body that I am trying to balance its hormones, you know, and and honestly, balancing my hormones feels like the most important thing I can do in my life. Honestly. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like your, the way that you've moved through the world and the way that you continue to is yours and yours alone and everybody else has theirs. And like, you can, like, you can't experience your life in any other way than you experience your life. And I think that's what makes it really amazing. And I, I had a question that around, you you said like the, sometimes that people don't recognize that there are, or can be consequences to bringing your fantasy to reality or starting to, yeah, you said, I think making it 3d, bringing it into reality. And I'm curious for you, how do you determine which of your fantasies to bring to reality? Like you, you thought, you shared that um, recently you brought up to your husband, the idea of maybe non-monogamy. How do you determine like, that's one I can bring up versus that's one I should keep inside. Yeah. You know, it's a, that's a great question. And, and I, and I pause because I, I, I think we could, we could ask that question about almost anything that we decide to make happen in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. So like, it's one thing to have an idea 
And then mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it's about, right? Like it could be something about my business, right? Which would have far reaching consequences if I was to just decide not this fantasy thing, but any idea that I might have where I just say, okay, we're not selling this thing anymore, right? Or we're going to de- eliminate this department or whatever it is, right? Uh, to th- have that thought in anger or frustration or joy or whatever it is, and then to make that happen has really far-reaching consequences. So what I would say about sexuality is that it's the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like the moment you cross the threshold of a dungeon and you allow somebody to like lock you to a wall, uh, even if that's like what you've been fantasizing for a long time, but you're actually having somebody do that to you and you actually render control to whoever this stranger is, that will forever change your fantasy. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know what else it would do. So I just want to say I have never actually had the guts to make take those risks because um, because I have such great sex, right? Like thinking it actually does it for me, right? I I, I don't need to do it. You know, I I sometimes wonder like bringing in a third, right? Like I have a lot of fantasies about like you know whether for him or for me or how we would control that. That's a really fun fantasy thing to go down. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but then I, you know, we have actually, I've said, what about this? What if I got a girl, another girl for you? And I like, you know, I mean, we did talk about that briefly, you know, and then it's like, well, where would we do that? How would we do it? Right. Like, you know, and it's like, he's a physician and I have this big company and, you know, would I go to Vegas to do that? And then uh, everything I know about Vegas, I'm like, uh, no, like as I think about actually doing it, it becomes way less sexy. Right. And so, so coming to the, the moment of, of acting on something, any kind of sexual thing, for me, if it makes me anxious, then I know it's not going to be sexy. And I think it's actually really important to bring this point up really loud. So the way we get to our best pleasure is when we surrender our control so that our, our body actually is taking the lead. It's not our mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so we, so, so we're not in charge of what's happening in our body now, but if you're having an anxious thought about anything, like, even if it's like, oh, I feel bad about how my body looks or, you know, or is this person they're bringing into our sex life psycho or is anybody going to find, or I don't know any, you could go on and on. Anxiety is like the universe of things. So, you know, as soon as I'm there, it's, the, the sexy part's over for me. Right. I know that's right. it's actually not even just for me. That's just true in general. And so I think that speaks volumes about why when people do hookups or they're just meeting people in a bar and then having sex, that oftentimes the pleasure is not what they anticipated, even while they were drinking with them. Because as soon as anxiety comes up in your brain, that capacity to move to pleasure is gone. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so I think that that has been my guiding principle, right? Like, uh, you know, I think about it. Also, I read books too, right? Sometimes actually, whether it's erotic literature, or just sometimes some fucking crazy things that people do and they write books about it, right? Like true stories. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, yeah. just thinking about them doing is enough for me, right? Like, yeah. you know, and, and then they can have all those consequences and I don't need to, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I sometimes, 
sounds like whatever. I'm just telling you everything. You know, maybe <laughs> I about a friend of mine talked about this Jamaican place where, you know, cougars go to meet beautiful Jamaican men. Okay, that like would definitely be on my list. I have actually thought about going there. I don't know where there is actually, but you know, I was like, geez, I could try that, you know. Uh-huh. Would I actually go through the steps to make that happen? When I arrive there, what would be my experience? Right? Like there's there's so much. I'm actually really busy and generally in life. And yeah. I have really good sex that I could just think right. about it and it works. Yeah. So yeah. you know. So I'm, I think I'm remaining content with that. Yeah. Well, I think it, it's a, it's a great point and I, I appreciate it. And I think it is, like you said, it's, it, it, you can extrapolate it to everything, but I think at a certain point, it kind of boils down to like the risk reward. And if you're like, well, I'm mm-hmm. having great sex and mm-hmm. I, all I have to do is think about it and I can, I can drift off into this fantasy world where who knows we're on a cloud and there's 12 of us and I know nobody's going to have anything negative happen because I control literally the entire narrative. And if, if it starts to get a little weird, okay, poof, that person's gone. And Oh, look at that. A new one comes in. Mm-hmm. And so you can control the whole thing versus like, okay, now I really have to make this happen. Yeah. And then all the logistics come in. I got to go to Jamaica and I got to yeah, find the right it is, person. Right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it could be, it could be even way more simple than that. Right. Like somebody mm-hmm. who's been your friend, you know, and a good mm-hmm. friend to you. And then you decide, okay, we're just going to have sex. Well, I just want to say yeah. that like sex changes everything. You don't just mm-hmm. have sex. I mean, okay, here's the thing. I'm old. And so young people might say, mm-hmm. that's not true. You can just have sex and it doesn't change anything. In my mind, as soon as you cross a threshold, that you have that depth of intimacy of being inside of someone and actually receiving somebody in a way that, I mean, you know, even oral sex, that is a a deep, profound act of giving and receiving. And I don't take those things lightly. And when I read about children seeing that shit on porn, which is 50% of the internet now, and Mm -hmm. doing shit like that in the back of a school bus without any idea what that means, that like just literally turns my stomach because I can tell you that that experience is going to be with that little girl for decades. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so having sexual experiences that we're not emotionally prepared to have, which happens every day on this planet, um, uh, does not help us as, as, as a people. It does, it does yeah. not help us. And, you know, we don't even have to go too deep down this tunnel, but like, the way that women are treated sexually in other countries on this planet uh, should make us stop worrying about everything else and want to just fix that because it's literally the thing that's killing us, you know? And, and it's like the, the rate at which it goes on, like, just, I don't know. Like, I feel like I should be doing something and you know, it's really hard to know what to do. We give a lot of money to reproductive organizations around the world for all kinds of things. I mean, as much money as we can give, and next year we're going to really be able to up it. But, um, and that's a really yeah. important point. Like to you, like you just said, we all want to do something, and that it's hard to know what to do. And uh, I guess I'd like to transition a little bit to some questions from our community, just for in the in the interest of time. But before yeah. I do that, I can you just expand a little bit on on that work that you do? 
Yeah. So, you know, um, I'd be happy to send you a list if you ever want to post it to your people, but there's actually really remarkable organizations. Certainly, of course, we know since Roe versus Wade, right? Like people mm-hmm. are starting safe homes where people can come and, and get care at a state line across the state line, right? Like, I mean, we know there's a ton of that work going on, you know, in, in countries like Africa, fistulas, which many people don't know what that is, but actually yeah. is a, is, is an injury that happens to women usually from sexual violence, um, that can end their life, right? But it's actually easily repairable. So we support this organization that does that work. I mean, you know, the list could go on and on, right? Like, you know, there's a still amazing amount of um, clitoral cutting um, Mm -hmm. in in many nations um, that has to stop. Work. So we yeah. so we give money to organizations that work on that. I mean, these are just a few of my places where I just feel sick about it. And so that's where I lean. But, you know, Planned Parenthood, like that's like so easy. There's a Planned Parenthood everywhere and they're continuously under assault. So just throw 10 bucks a month at them, right? Like yeah. just, just to feel better, you know? So yeah. I would say that like uh, the need is greater than it's ever been. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's also like, you know, I mean, you guys are into non-ethical monogamy and so polyamory and, you know, and I don't know how that translates into sort of the LGBTQ communities, but we know that those communities um, suffer with much higher percentages of of depression and abuse and violence and, you know... Trans, black trans men have a life expectancy of 35 years. Black, no, sorry, black trans women. So men who became women, um, extremely short lifespan. Um, so, so there's, there's so many things you could just pick whatever you care about and then, yeah. and then like look it up online and, you know, yeah. put your, you know, they all have like a here, donate here, you know, right. and right. you know, it's yeah. crazy. Like, I wish I was even better than I am, but you have to really focus on how to have a giving strategy in your life. And I I do want to say that service in general, any service we do, whether it's giving money or our time is the thing that gets more people out of depression than any other single thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah. And I was going to throw one resource out there just while I'm thinking of it and we'll put links in the show notes. Uh, it was a fantastic book uh, that was written it's probably a little over a decade ago now called Half the Sky. And it was written by, uh, I believe, a New York Times journalist, uh, Nicholas Kristoff. And it's basically about how women hold up half the sky. And it talks a lot about the the things you talked about, fistulas, and the way women are treated in in various countries around yeah. the world and the different organizations out there and ways you can get involved. And it's a uh, a pretty intense moving, uh, book. And so I would, I would highly, highly recommend anybody um, who's interested even like start there. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's a good, really good point of just starting by educating yourself and then finding what really resonates with you. Mm-hmm. What, and then figuring out ways to, you know, do work in that, in that totally. arena. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I just, Wanted to say thank you for everything that, that you've shared. Um, I know we're running short on time. I yeah, do you have some, do you have some, uh, I think we've got another 10, 15 minutes. If you have mm-hmm. some questions from your, your reader audience, I mean, you guys are great. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you want to talk about ethical non-monogamy. 
um, you know, or polyamory or any of those things. We could talk about that. Maybe that's some of the questions some of your readers wrote in about or, or listeners. Well, actually, yeah, we had a, a handful and maybe I don't think there's any way we could get, get through them, but I think maybe it, this kind of ties in what you were just talking about, about giving back and everything. And, um, I think for anybody, like, also kind of a way to wrap up, which is you kind of started this conversation and you said, like, when I started this, like, I didn't know anything about anything. And you were kind of a, a woman cooking up essential oils in your kitchen. And clearly you've come a long way since then. So maybe like an idea of what good clean love is today. Like, I know it's a woman owned B Corp. I don't know exactly how big you have scientific boards. Like, where have you come to? And then one of the questions that was thrown at us was, um, as, as you were sort of building this, your business was dependent on, on sex and your transparency and sort of did the, the idea of trying to build a business around something that was taboo, especially for women, like how did that impact your path forward? And we actually got a variation of that question from about three different people. Um, well, that's like seven questions. So let's see. Right. Um, yeah. You, know, you get one minute per question. Sorry. <laughs> so, what, so, what I, so what I would say is that, um, good clean love is actually kind of a, I mean, it's a way bigger company than I would ever expect to run. Right. Like, and, and, uh, and hopefully like we're, we're getting other people to scale this company and, and that's going to be great. Um, I keep it, you know, I'd say that, um, I, people call me this uh, pioneer, visionary, right? Like I, you know, I uh, I'm not a businesswoman by trade. I feel like most people come to business and it gives them an excuse to be bad, right? Like, well, it's just business. Well, so I don't I don't do business like that, and and I think really succeeded in spite of myself in that way, right? I think I think like I said at the beginning, when you're a problem solver, and when you're actually dedicated to like finding. Or, or answering problems, right? Like what I was saying about the pain with vaginal, with sex, right? So first I was talking about that a lot. And first I was like really focused on, um, you know, normalizing that, that healthy sex is part of what it is to be healthy, right? Like you can have a healthy sex life. If you're sick, you're physically sick, you're not going to have a healthy sex life. And alternately, if you're not also having a healthy sex life, you could argue you're not actually fully healthy, right? Like being who we are and living our erotic life is a fundamental part of what it is to be a healthy human being. So I really firmly believe that. And so, you know, yeah, you know, and like, I think it's worth just saying some, one of your, one of your listeners brought it up. I mean, it sucks to be a woman in business still today. Like I thought it'd be really different. We raised money this last, this year. Um, and I thought now being woman owned all these years, being a B Corp, you know, I mean, those are kind of nice to haves, but for, of all the money that that's invested in, in the United States, 4% goes to women, 4% still in fucking 2022. Okay. Here's another terrible fact of all the money that's invested in public health research, 4% goes to fucking women's health, 4%. Okay. So it's 2022. It's like enough, right? So partly I think you know, good clean love is sold across the nation, a couple of other countries. Um, 
you know, we're not nearly as big as KY, but that's our goal, right, is to erase KY on the shelf and to actually take that space and actually have the fundamental health characteristics that we know protect a women's vaginal biome be sort of the standard of care that every that every single brand has to has to meet. I don't know if I'll be alive when that happens, but that's our goal. And you know, like it's pretty rare. I like was one of very few women that got a bunch of money this year. And so I have some munitions now, right? Like I've been running this thing on nothing on air and being kind of furious for decades. And honestly, like every time something big happened culturally, like, you know, the Me Too thing or gay marriage or Shades of Grey, all of those public conversations where we said, okay, we can talk about this for a minute, lifted our business, you know, mm-hmm. and we've always been far and away the healthiest product on the market. And so even without really any money to advertise or market, right, in the classical sense, because most companies, I think, I spent all my time on research and development and learning how to make the best thing and building reliable U.S. supply chains. Everything we do is made in America. Um, So all the kind of value things that people are just looking at now, I've always been doing those things, right? And, you know, using sugarcane packaging, right, because it actually does bio degrade. You know, I used to like, actually, that would give me nightmares when I would run 20,000 plastic tubes and I'd be like, oh, I am the problem. (laughs) So I was really happy when we found bioplastics, but you know, so, so we've come a such a long way and And I think that what we do is on a rising tide because more and more women and men are waking up that this is a legitimate form of health, right? It's not about titillation and, you know, but it's very confusing now, right? Because, you know, this whole new generation of people, you know, the issues between men and women are not resolved, right? Like clearly just by the data I told you, right? Like even though so much has happened on behalf of women's equality, they just fucking took away Roe versus Wade. So not so much, right? Right. Um, So how did that happen? I'm 60. I don't know how that happened, but it's like, you know, I don't know what happens for young people. And I'm trying to learn about this when they decide that they're not going to identify with any gender. They don't want to be male or female. They're going to be non-binary. And I've had some conversations about it. Um, I, and I really, I, I'm saying this in true honesty. I don't know what would lead somebody to say, my, my gender is not my identity. Like I don't, I don't identify with any gender truth because when you have a baby, the first thing they say is a boy or a girl before you know anything else about that person, like their gender defines them profoundly at the moment of birth, actually for many people before their birth, you know? So, so I think we have, we've screwed it up in a lot of ways. So I'm sorry to everybody who's listening for the ways that this generation of baby boomers, which I'm at the very tail end, I wish I wasn't, like really did not do the work that should have been done on this planet during their life cycle. And that has sort of, in some ways, I think, driven so many people out of the culture, right? They're just like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in this. I don't want any part of any of this. And what I would say is that like, you know, staying with things for a long time 
whether it's a relationship or work you love or an education you're trying to do, right? There are so many days you're like, shit, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And this feels like shit. And I, why am I doing it? Right? Like culturally, we're at a moment where it's easy to just be like, all right, just forget it. Never mind. I'm going on to the next thing. And I, and I want to say that the only reason that good, clean love exists the way it does, literally the only reason, because I don't have any other skills except that I'm a terrible quitter right? Because what I will tell you is that the moment that you can't bear it is usually the turn. That is like where you're on the three yard line and you don't know it, right? Like Mm -hmm. so many times you're moving so many heavy balls and you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Why can't I just watch TV like other people, you know, (laughs) listen to somebody else's story. But like, that is what changes the world is staying. Mm -hmm whether it's in a relationship or in a sexual question or in a business that you have no idea what you're doing or what it's going to become. Like that is the only way. And I'm not selling this as an easy solution, but it is really the only reason that good, clean love is where it is because I didn't quit, you know, and people want to give me credit for so many things. Oh my God, you built this amazing thing. Oh my God. I'm telling you hundreds of people, thousands of people made this what it was. All I did was hold a space. And that is really, I think in this time in the world, what we're most called to. What we're, what we're being asked to do is to hold the, the power, right. The power of holding that space and then creating the team and the community around it. And it's like, yeah. you know, the thing is, is do we create a community? I don't know. I think that we like the way we form our language, we use the word I and mine in so mm-hmm. many ways. And I mean, this is just as I'm aging now that it seems to me more and more that like things happen to us and we, and and our karmic debt is how do we respond to these things? I don't really think it's because we we're making the thing, right? Like that's how we want to talk about a business success or whatever, you know, and it just isn't like that. It's like things happen or they don't happen. And, and, and how do you meet that moment? And, um, and so I feel like with good, clean love, you know, I'm trying to learn how to let go right now. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like, I can't do all the things I've done just like, I just don't have enough chi. I, I have some good testosterone right now, but it only lasts <laughs> about two months at a time, you know? So, so, so like good, clean love is going to go to college now, right? It's got this money. It's going to pay tuition. It's going to, it's going to transform. But how do we keep the, the, the blueprint, right? Of the love mm-hmm. of, of the science of the things that matter. Um, and you know, you know, I don't know. Some people really love to make plans. I actually always laugh because that's like what people do. And actually that's when everything else is happening. Right. So not much of a planner myself. Um, but I, I try to be awake, right. I just, just try to like, see what's actually happening and tell the truth about it. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of, um, grace. There's a lot of grace that comes in those moments when you, can just listen. 
Actually, yeah. you uh, recommended this one book, and I just want to match you with another book. And I love Nicholas Kristof. I've read his column over my whole adult life. He was going to run for governor in Oregon, and then he couldn't for whatever reason. But um, there's another book that is called uh, Why Greatness Can't Be Planned. Um, okay. And it's actually, interestingly, my son gave me that book. Um uh, it's about an a, it's a, it's, it's a two AI professors, right? Who are developing AI, um, and realized in their work that like the most intelligent thing that you can do is allow the AI to find its own way, right? Yeah. Because each step actually informs it rather than saying, here's where you need to go. Like by allowing what they call it is novel search. And so that's what I would say about good, clean love and about life itself, right? Like if you are able to live in a way where you are looking for what is not clear around you, right, you will always pre be presented the next stepping stone. Mm -hmm. But, and, and, and that is like, that's where miracles happen. That's like where great things occur because you're not planning where it's going. Right? Yeah. right. This is yeah. people don't like this at all. I just want to say <laughs> they're yeah. not about I, this. But I, I but I want to say that every single great thing that's ever happened in my career or my life was a function of that. Every single yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I like Emma said a, a ton of gratitude for, for coming on, for the work you do. And I just for, uh, this is just a, a personal observation, and I think it's easy when people listening here, like, oh, they're talking to the CEO of this big company, and something that just like has been kind of playing in my brain the last few minutes is uh, people can't see this, but you're sitting in basically a white room with some foam panels taped to the wall, moving blankets thrown over who knows what to try and create a space that sounds good for recording. So you're not, you're not sitting in a million dollar recording yeah. studio. We definitely aren't. And yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're all just out here trying to do good yeah. work to with change the, the, the best, world. With, with the best tools we yeah, have. With the tools we have. And like, yeah. I just, like you, you've kind of bootstrapped good, clean love for, you know, 20 plus years and yeah. it's amazing. And so I just, that yeah. that takes that takes the the skill you said of not quitting to a new level and so we just have a lot of gratitude for that and your approach to to business in general is admirable so and and thank you for just being so honest yeah. and vulnerable and open with us like i i love the opportunity just to connect with you as a human and yeah and have this beautiful conversation. So well, I'm really grateful too, because God, if we would only have more conversations like this, right. First of all, it's always so lovely when somebody wants to know you, right. And they want to mm -hmm. ask you questions and they want to hear what you think. I keep waiting for my children to want those days, right. Like <laughs> it happens in little bits, you know, but, um, hopefully when I'm gone, they'll listen to this interview. They'll be like, well, my mom was kind of rocking, but, um, right. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, so it's very, I'm grateful also to have this moment to share this with you and that you want to know. So thank you for that. And, um, you know, um, I think this kind of truth, this kind of like raw authenticity where people say what they think and they hear each other is literally the medicine of the world. Like mm -hmm. to whatever degree that we can foster more like real listening that's like, that's how people know they're loved. 
I just want to say yeah. that feels like love. And so, um, so we can do that for anybody, right? We can do it for strangers, truthfully. And so, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. I talk too much. So thanks for letting me. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, it, podcast, podcasts are boring when people don't talk. So, yeah. um, so we appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate and it. And I'd be happy to do this with you guys anytime. And in fact, we have a podcast, as you know, Dear Sex, and we're going to be mm-hmm. running another uh, episode. I mean, another series. I kind of got waylaid with my investor stuff, but I'm going to have Kelly reach out to you um, and schedule you for the other side. And hopefully Perfect. my technology will work that day. Uh, yeah, and, we would We would um, absolutely love that. Yeah, yeah, and we can talk more about your work and the ethical non-monogamy and why that feels really important to you love it well thank you we would be honored yeah Yeah, we would be honored thank you so much for your time and uh we will we will be in touch so yeah Yeah, for sure and we're back thank you so much wendy for everything that you shared and for all of the amazing work that you do a quick reminder that you can get 10 percent off of uh, any products on Good Clean Love's website by using the code Emma. Yeah, I'll just echo Emma's gratitude. Thank you, Wendy, for coming on and for giving our listeners a little bit of a discount over at your website. It's amazing and we really appreciate it. I also, I want to say thank you for, I would say, oversharing. There were, yes, there, there yes. were a few times throughout <laughs> the interview where you're like, well, I've already said way too much, so I might as well just say some more. <laughs> And we absolutely love that. So we appreciate you letting your guard down and sharing openly and honestly with us because, frankly, that's that's how that's how we break down stigmas. So thank you. Thank you for being a badass and for building the company you built. Yes. Thank you again. And a quick reminder that we do have a virtual meet and greet coming up on November 30th. You can sign up on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. These are open to anyone. You just must be open minded and respectful. And next week, we've got another fantastic interview, the one that we promised you on Wednesday. <laughs> they aren't supposed we, to know that. Well, we promised this, we've promised this interview with Elizabeth multiple times yeah. in the last couple It's weeks. coming next Wednesday, it we is. promise. For results. Yes. And actually, this is a surprise episode. This Friday episode. We forgot to announce it this week, too. So we're on it. We're, we are <laughs> rushing it. <laughs> so surprise, you just had this Focus Friday episode, bonus episode today. There it is. All right. So next week, Elizabeth, and the week after, who knows? <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? But there will be an interview, and we will see you in next week, and the week after, and the week after, and all the way until whenever we, we run out of weeks. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.